Our scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work at, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of early Christians, explaining to them the way he prays for their church. And what I'll invite us to do as we look at these verses, I want to invite us to notice, notice three things that we see here. Let's notice first that the Apostle prays. Notice that he prays. Second, let's notice what he prays. And then third, let's think about why he prays for them with so much confidence. So that he prays, what he prays, and why. So first, just notice that the apostle prays for the church. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, verse 16, I pray. So he says, for this reason, I pray. Now, that phrase... Um, for this reason, at the beginning of verse 14, that, that phrase seems to be referring back to some points that the apostle made at the end of chapter 2. The end of chapter 2, Paul is writing about the supreme importance of the church in God's overall plan to restore the world. He just, at the end of chapter 2, he says the church is supremely important. Verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, the church is the community in which the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile has been demolished, allowing people from every nation, every language, every tribe, every, every, every clan to, to come and join the family of God. In the next verse, or in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says the church is the community in which Sinful people. Any sinful people here? The church is the community in which sinful people are reconciled to God through the cross. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2, he says that the church is, quote, a house, the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 2, he says the church is a holy temple in the Lord where in Christ people are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that's the point he makes in chapter two. He says the church is 
supremely important in the plan God has to restore the world. And now he says, for this reason, in other words, because the church is so important, I pray. Now the reason I'm, I'm pointing that out, I, the reason I think it's worth noting is that there are, if you think about it, there are other activities the apostle could have mentioned here besides prayer. For example, he, he could have said, for this reason, because the church is so important, I preach. I dedicate myself to the art of preaching. If, if Paul had said that, we might have reached the conclusion that the most important thing in any church is the quality of the preaching. Or we might even assume that the most important person in any church is the guy behind the microphone. If Paul had said, listen, if Paul had said, for this reason I preach, we might have concluded those things. But that's not what he said. Right? He also, he could have said, for this reason, because the church is so important, I plan. I spend my time in strategic planning. I, I plan programs and activities and outings and events and seminars and classes and clubs and ex excursions and projects and cohorts and, and policies and ministries. I, you got to keep people busy, right? You got to keep people happy. For, so he could have said, for this reason, I plan. But he didn't say that. The apostle said, for this reason. In other words, because the church is Christ's multicultural community in which sinful people are reconciled to the living God, built together on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles to be a holy temple in which the Spirit of God resides. He says, for this reason, I devote myself to prayer. I, I, I pray, I kneel before the Father and pray. Now, would you agree that, with me that um, the fact that the importance of the church moved the apostle to pray, it tells us something, I think, about the importance of prayer, right? It's how important it is. And it's not just important for apostles to be praying. Later in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, where he's talking about the spiritual warfare that we all face, he, he, you know what Paul wrote to every member of that church, to every person in that church, he said this, Ephesians 6, verse 18, he said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He said, we all need to pray. There's a, there's a prayer meeting. I don't know if you know, there's a prayer meeting that takes place every Sunday morning before the worship service meets in this little chapel back here. If you haven't been there, oh man, I recommend it. Um, Chris Hamill leads the group, and very often she will start the prayer time by quoting from this, uh, this minister named E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds was a Methodist uh, minister who lived in the 1800s, and he wrote a lot about prayer. And here's a quote from E.M. Bounds. He said this, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery. Today, today we would say, what the church needs today is not more or better technology. Not new organizations, not more novel methods. He said, what the church needs today is people whom the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer. People mighty in prayer. It's important, isn't it? So the first thing we'll notice here is that the apostle prays. 
Now, secondly, let's, let us notice what the apostle prays. What, the, what does Paul pray for, for their church? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you will meet your annual budget. I pray that you will fill the pews with people. I pray that as a church, you will have an influence on your society. And I pray that you will never, ever, ever be persecuted. Isn't it weird? He doesn't pray for any of those things. What, what, he, what he prays for essentially is this. He prays that every person in that congregation would experience a deep, personal, inner transformation through their connection with Jesus Christ. That's what he prays for. He prays, verse 16, that they would be strengthened through the Spirit in their inner being. He prays, verse 17, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. He prays, verse 18, that they would have power to grasp the immensity of Christ's love for them. He prays in verse 19 that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what he prays for that church is that each and every one of them each one of them would experience a personal inner transformation through their connection to Jesus. Now, now that the, the phrase that really stands out to me in this prayer, and it is a rich prayer, but the one that grabs my attention is verse 17. He prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And that might seem kind of puzzling. Somebody might say, wait, wait a minute. I thought Paul was writing to Christians here. Why, why is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts? I thought if you're a Christian, Christ is already in, in your heart. Isn't that true? Yes, that's true. If you've come to trust Christ through the Holy Spirit, Christ himself is present in your heart, in your life. But listen, Paul here is, he's not merely praying that Christ would be present in their hearts. He is praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And there is a difference. The, the word that's translated dwell here, it means to settle in a place. It means to inhabit a place. It means to make a place your home. The, the, the difference between Christ simply being present in your heart and Christ dwelling in your heart. It's, it's kind of like the difference between signing a lease on an apartment and actually moving in and redecorating the place, right? When you, when, listen, when you sign the lease on an apartment, technically, you live there. But it's not until you move in and you start to decorate that it, it begins to feel like you live there. Just, it feels like it's your home. You paint the walls the colors you want them to be. You put the furniture exactly where you want it. You hang your favorite artwork on the walls. You put pictures of your families on the shelf. It just, it just the place, the whole place just feels like you, right? Your friends come to see you and they say, oh, I love what you've done with the place. This is so you. It's so you. That's what Christ is praying for them that each of them, as, as through the work of the Spirit, Christ would begin to just kind of make his home, redecorate the walls of their heart so that if anyone were able to somehow peek into their hearts, as it were, they would say, oh, I know who lives here. <laughs> I know who inhabits this person's life. You can just tell by the way it's decorated. This is Jesus' home. That's what, that's what he's praying for. I wonder, I wonder in what ways you have, as a, as a follower of Christ, experienced Jesus just kind of redecorating the interior of your life. I wonder, I wonder what projects he's getting ready to undertake now in his work in you. 
So what the apostle prays for as he prays for the, their church is that each one of them would experience inner transformation through Jesus. Now, a couple of things that you'll want to notice about this, uh, this inner transformation. One thing you'll want to notice is that this work, the apostle says, this work is done by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The, the, the work of change, is, it's not something we do, right? It's done by the spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any responsibilities. We do. You find in the New Testament that Christians are called to cooperate with the Spirit, just to kind of allow Him to work in their life. 1 Corinthians says we are to live by the Spirit. Galatians says we are to walk by the Spirit. Jude tells us to pray in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians warns us not to quench the Spirit. And Romans 8 verse, verse 13 says that every Christian has this responsibility. It says, by the Spirit, Christian, you are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. So for us to grow more and more in Christ, we do need to cooperate with the Spirit. But the point that the apostle makes here is, listen, the power to change doesn't come from us. I'm glad for that because if it depended on me to change me, I would be in big trouble. Would you be in trouble? The power to change does not come from us. The power to change is provided generously by God. So one thing to notice about this inner work, this work of transformation, it's done by the Holy Spirit. The second thing to notice is that this work of transformation happens in the context of the church. And end of verse 17, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, look what he says, power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He, so he, Paul is not saying, you know what, I'm praying that each one of you will experience a powerful change in your life, and, and, and I'm just expecting this to happen in, in isolation, by yourself, in the privacy of your home, home. No, he doesn't pray that because inner transformation, it doesn't happen that way. It happens in the context of, of community. So he's saying, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp the love of Christ. This, this work of change, it happens as we follow Jesus shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you look with me at verse 21, here's a question. Verse 21, where does the apostle expect to see God's glory? Answer, in the church. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Tim, Tim Keller wrote this. He wrote, the glory of God is available to you in the church in a way it's not available to you anywhere else. He said there is, more important means, there is no more important means of discipleship than deep involvement in the life of the church. So let's say that you, uh, you really want to be physically fit, you want to get in shape, and someone says to you, you know what? You're never going to get in shape unless you go to the gym. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the gym. Or what if you really want to be smart? And someone says to you, you know what? You'll never really be smart unless you go to school. What are you going to do? You're going to go to school. Or what if you want to be healthy? And someone says to you, you're never really going to be healthy unless you go to the doctor. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the doctor. So 
What if you sincerely desire? Do you? What if you sincerely desire to, to be inwardly transformed by the love of Jesus and God's Word, Scripture, says to you, that will never, ever, ever happen in your life unless you stay connected with the church. What are you going to do? The, this work of transformation that the apostle is praying for, it is, this is done by the Spirit in the church. Let me repeat that. This work he's praying for is done by the Spirit in the church. So that's what Paul prays for. Now, why? Why does he pray with such confidence? And, and I say that because when you read this passage, you just get this sense that he's, he, he is praying a bold, confident prayer here. Why does he pray with so much confidence for them? Well, when I was a kid, one of the very first prayers they taught us to say, and this is a, it's a good prayer, but it's very limited in its usefulness. It, you, you, there's only, the only occasion this prayer helps is when you're sitting down at the dinner table and you're about to eat. I mean, that's about the only place it's useful. But this was the prayer they taught us. The prayer was this. God is great, God is good, and we thank him for this food. Amen. God is great, God is good. Why is the apostle praying with so much confidence for that church? I'll tell you why. Because God is great, and God is good. So first you see that God is great. By that, here's what I mean. Listen, there is no limit to what God can do in the lives of his people. No limit. Verse 20, look at verse 20. Verse 20 describes God as him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So how much can God do in our lives? Not just what we ask. It says he can do more than we ask. Right? And not just more than we ask, it says he can do more than all we ask. And not just more than all we ask, it says he can do immeasurably more than all we ask. And not just immeasurably more than all we ask, it says here, do you see it? It says he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Can you imagine? Do you have a big imagination? I do. God's power is even greater than that. So kids, what is it? Kids, what is it that Buzz Lightyear always says? To infinity and beyond. Christian, if you if you could have a conversation with, with God and say, Lord, I just want to know what to expect. Lord, Lord, how much how much can you do in my life? How much can you accomplish in my family? Lord, how much can you do in our church? Lord, what can you accomplish in this world? If you were to ask God those things, he would say, beyond infinity, no limit. When I was a young Christian, there was a song we used to sing. The lyrics are really simple, but I like them because they're true. Here's how the song goes. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than able, to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. He's able. 
So why does the apostle pray with so much confidence? First, because God is great, right? Secondly, because God is good. Again, look at what he says, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the master. No, I kneel before the judge. I, feel, I kneel before the boss. He says, I kneel before the slave driver. No, he says this. For this reason, I kneel before the father. The father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now listen, this is such an important truth. If this hasn't begun to sink in, let this sink in. When you come to Christ through faith, all right, and it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter how long or far you have wandered from Christ. When you come to Christ through faith, you trust Him to be your Savior. You know what happens? You become God's own child, and God Himself becomes your Father. Galatians 3.26 says, In Christ you are all, all children of God through faith. Now, in this, in this world, in this world, some men are good fathers, some men are bad fathers, and most fathers are just average men, right? But God is the perfect father. Listen, God is the parent. God is the parent your heart has always longed for. He, he will always protect. He will always provide. He, he will always lead you. He will always love you. He's the perfect parent. Verse 20 says that there is no limit to his power. Verse 19 says there's no limit to his love. It says his love surpasses knowledge. The, the, old, uh, the old Heidelberg Catechism uh, teaches us to say this. We say this, the, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules everything by his eternal counsel and providence. He is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. And then we go on to say, I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. And then we affirm, God is able to do this because he's almighty God, and he desires to do this because he's my father. God, God is great, and God is good. So, as we've said, this church is now entering a season of transition. I will be transitioning out to a different role. There's a search committee praying and looking for a new pastor. Jim Fridiers will be shepherding you together with the elders and, and the deacons and deaconesses through this time of, of change. And just a question for us as we enter this season, what, what should we expect this to be like? I, I think you should expect it to be a little bit hard. I think you should expect there will be times when it might feel discouraging. I think there are you should expect there will be a sense of uncertainty. Here's what else you should expect. You should expect God to be God. You should expect your Father to be your Father. 
And in, in other words, you should expect that the one who loved you so much that he gave his son to make you his own, that through the Spirit he will be with you, that he will provide, that he will protect, that he will lead, that he will love. And so my, my uh, closing encouragement for you as a church is cry out to the Father in prayer. Kneel before the Father in prayer. And when you pray, don't pray little prayers. If you have a little God, you pray little prayers, right? But if you have a big God, pray some big prayers. Prayers that are worthy of someone whose, whose power is unlimited and, and, and prayers that show you trust someone who loves you. Do you know how much God loves you? No, you don't. It says right here, his love, his love surpasses knowledge. I mean, you can spend your whole life learning about his love for you in Christ, his love for you in Christ. You'll never learn all of it. Listen, he loves you that much. And so pray. Pray for God to be working deeply, deeply in the hearts of each person here, the people he will bring here. And pray with confidence. God is great. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Let's pray. We thank you that in you, Lord, we have a good parent. Thank you that you'll never forget us. You'll never forsake us. You will always lead us. You will always love us. You loved us when we were your enemies. And now that we're your children, are you going to forget us? No. So we pray that, that this work you've begun in our hearts through Jesus, that for each one of us, you will carry it on to completion, that more and more Jesus will make our hearts his home, that he will redecorate the interior of our lives so it'll just feel like he lives here. And we pray this, that you will do this for your glory, for your glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen.